Welcome to another podcast from Fix My Project Chaos. My name is Elise Stevens, and today the fantastic Suzanne Madsen, who is a project management blogger, podcaster, webinar, and author of The Power of Project Leadership, is here to talk about how to manage a demanding workload. Hello, Suzanne. Hello, Elise. Thank you for that nice introduction. That's okay. I really do love that book, The Power of project leadership and hope that people are are reading it and breaking out of that process mold. Thank you. So do I. Have I told you that it's being translated into Chinese? That is so fantastic. And it'll be interesting to catch up with you again and talk about how it's going and how the Chinese market and project leadership in China is going. Yes, I'm, I'm hoping to go. I don't know that the book is coming out in 2017. Unfortunately, I won't be able to read it, but, <laughs> but no, it should be interesting. I'm really looking forward to it. That's fantastic. Suzanne, being a project manager means that we usually have a demanding workload. What are some uh, advice that you could give people about how to manage a demanding workload? Yeah, it's a very interesting topic, and I have actually myself been in that situation in particular, years ago when I was running a, a, a big project, I was—I I would say I was pretty overwhelmed. And um, some of the signs that I see people, people having as well, well, some of them are related to maybe more externally losing control of the project, but other ones are more related to personal warning signs that that we may see. And and I think I I, I was certainly in that situation, working long hours. Uh, some people even take work home or. I think what's common as well, people begin to feel really exhausted. And an interesting pattern develops where we have too many emails, we begin to deal with all the issues, and that means we get into a reactive pattern, a pattern where we have to put aside the important over and above all the urgent. So really, we begin to firefight because there isn't really any other way. There's all this stuff that needs to get done. But the the problem is that we begin to ignore or to put aside relationship building, liaising with our clients, clarifying expectations, getting into the detail of requirements, making sure that we're proactive about quality assurance. So so that's really uh, what we need to begin to address if we want to turn this around. That's what it looks like, I think, from from the outside, and that's how it feels for the person involved. I don't know if you've experienced uh, something similar. Oh, yes. I've had some very challenging situations where you just feel like you're being pounded from every direction. Yeah, it's not good. It's definitely not good. And the thing is, I see it a lot with people who I coach. Actually, this week even, I've had a longstanding client of mine, coached him several years ago. Now he's coming back and saying, you know, I'm still in the same role, but I'm feeling exhausted. It's difficult to, to manage my workload. Can we please start coaching again? And it's, it's one of those reoccurring themes. There are certain themes that, I, that keep coming up when I coach people. One of them is stakeholder management. But the other one is really how, how to stay on top of, of workloads because we, we're working in a time when there's been cutbacks, there's been rationalization. We expect people to do more with less and, and people feel that. I know. And people do feel the stress of it. I think in demanding situations like that, it chips away at your confidence too. It can, it can, yeah. It is important to, I don't know, have some kind of light at the end of the tunnel maybe or put new strategies in place to deal with it. 
Absolutely. And, and it's not... It's not unique. A lot of people have been through it and think the psychology behind it is important, which, which we can go into a bit more, why it really is that we, that we find ourselves in that situation. I don't know if you want me to elaborate yes. a bit more on that. Please go so, into it. It's very common for most of us to you know, get into a bit of victim situation when this happens. My boss is giving me too much work or I'm, I've been landed another project and it's, um, I'm exhausted, I'm, I'm, I have too much work to do. But secretly, some of us might go and, and, and actually somehow feel that it's not all that bad. We may not be conscious of it, but there is a big psychological factor here, which is that sometimes we are holding on to our busyness. Because think about it. People sometimes uh, walk home at the end of the day and they go, oh, I was so busy. And it's almost like we are proud to say it. We, we hate, on the one hand, it's not good because we're tired, but on the other hand, um, there is a bit of a um, positive side to it because it, it means we're in demand. It means that we may be indispensable. We are also in control because we do a lot of stuff. We get our hands into lots of pies. And we're seen as a troubleshooter, the go-to person. All these words that people love, you know, because it makes them feel that they're safe in their jobs and they know that uh, the company wants them. So I think below all of this, I'm so busy, there is a, okay, but... Are you also contributing to that in some ways because you secretly or subconsciously are attracting it because you may not want to say no, you may like to sort out issues and, 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 and fires. And, and I think that's a, that's a big part of it that we don't often look at. I agree. Sometimes we are our own worst enemies. Yeah. Yeah, but the problem here is that we're not all that conscious about it. Yeah, and I think maybe too when you're trying to get a promotion or you're new to the organisation and you're unsure, maybe there's some changing politics within an organisation too or you want to try and impress a new stakeholder or something maybe. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Bosses love it. Stakeholders love it. People who, who say yes, who get things done, it's amazing. But at some point, we can't just keep running faster because if we say yes, we will keep getting more work. We will keep getting more projects. And so some people have real difficulties either reaching out saying they need help or they have real difficulties saying no. Maybe they can say no in different ways. They don't have to say no. They can just say, you know, I have all these different priorities, which if you give me another project, I think it means that I can't focus as much on the other project I have. Or There's different ways of saying it, but a lot of people don't like to show that because they feel that it's almost like they're weak. And, and what does it mean? What does it mean to, to, to the way I'm being looked at? And, and as you're saying, then we can't impress. Uh, but it's quality versus quantity sometimes, isn't it, Suzanne? Yeah, and I think as a project manager, we have to be professional and say, I'm running a project. I want to do the best that I can for my current project and for my current client. I don't want my project to fail or to be substandard. We have a lot of those projects. We know about them. Projects still fail. So if I want to do a really good job, why do I want to dilute my attention and run two projects when I only really have capacity to do one really well? Most organizations that I uh, work with at the moment, either as a coach or a trainer, they push too many projects down the organization and they know it. And they just see what happens because something has to give. 
But how can that become the individual project manager's problem? If we just take on more and more work, and I'm not saying that we should be difficult and, and refuse to do more work at all. Of course, it's all about collaboration. I am saying that we have to be honest about what we can do and what we can't do. Taking on two projects, if really we should be devoting our focus to one, then we have to be honest about that. And doesn't it get back to being able to have good conversations with our PMOs or our line managers and saying, and not in a nasty way and not being demanding, I'm not doing that, but saying, hmm, you know, my workload, what do you think I'm doing or what about this project? It's got a lot of moving parts. It's got a high risk profile. If you give me another project, am I really going to be able to, to do that? Is there some help you can get me? But trying to frame it in a nice way, not in a, I can't do that, I'm not going to do it kind of conversation. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's in terms of making the impact clear to people and being relatively objective about it. Okay, we are subjective, right? But we have to take, as you're saying, some of that negative emotion out and saying, what might the impact be if I take on another project? There are risks associated with it. What might that mean? That becomes more objective and less about whether I can do it or not. I can't do it, but it, it, it has a consequence. And that gets back to having those really good influencing skills too because when you go up in like a conflict kind of way to whoever it is you're having the discussion with and say, uh, you know, no, stop. But if you go up and help the other person understand your world you understand the other person's world, then it's perhaps easier to come to an outcome that meets everyone's needs. Yeah, that's 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 true. And if we are too much in our emotion in a, oh my God, I can't believe I've just been given another project, it's more difficult to influence as you're just describing because we're too much now wrapped up in our own world and not able to actually just have a, a quality conversation about it. But it also comes down to confidence because... Some of us who've been around for a little while and who've been in these situations, we are potentially becoming more assertive or more confident or comfortable with expressing how we view the world in a nice way. It doesn't have to be, as we're saying, in, in, a, in a stroppy or demanding way. But more junior project managers who really want to impress, it's their first or second job, they feel vulnerable. Of course, they want to make a good impression. So it can be much harder for them to approach the subject. And again, I would say, well, maybe they should just do that, begin to approach it in, in a gentle way and just making people understand what they're already working on and, and what the consequences might be if they take on another project or gently asking, are there any other options or maybe there is someone else who can help and, and come and help out with some of the stuff I'm doing, stuff like timesheet tracking or taking minutes from some of the meetings or maybe some of the work streams can be looked after by someone else. So it's about being creative as well because delegation, of course, which we haven't really talked so much about yet, is another big item here and topic we have to, we have to look at because how do we grow? How do we take on more work and be capable? The only way is to begin to delegate some of the lower level stuff. And for me years ago, what really helped me was a junior project manager helping me out or a um, project administrator helping me out. Some people say, I have no one to delegate to. It just isn't going to happen. Challenge that. Is that true? If that person isn't already on your project, could you ask the PMO for help? Could you 
pool together with five other project managers and argue why it's much better that you get a, a project administrator to help all of you because it's more effective rather than having maybe highly paid project managers do budget tracking and, and, and time sheet tracking. So I think we have to be more creative with the way we use delegation because that is one of the keys to, to managing a, a demanding workload. I love the comment about delegation, Suzanne. I think that sometimes controlling, really controlling project managers might ha- find it hard to delegate. But if you have the, a nice collaborative team environment, there might be people that want to learn new things and to grow and be offered the opportunity to be coached by the project manager in skills that they don't have. Exactly right. And project managers always work on their own mostly work on their own. So how do we learn? And I think it would be great if we had more project managers pair themselves up with, you know, junior and senior, because that's a great way to pass on knowledge. I don't actually understand why it doesn't happen more often. I I can continue to hope and and to sow that seed. For me, it worked uh, certainly very well. And for the the person who worked with me on that project, it it worked very well as as well. Now, you mentioned the word control, and, and I completely agree with that. When we delegate as well, we sometimes lose control that can be very difficult for some people in delegation and we really have to say well to accept that other people have different ways of doing things they may have better ways of doing things and if I want to get better at managing my workload and growing others in the process I would have to let go of some of that control and it's okay I can get better at it I just need to practice a little bit oh look I agree and I think that This notion of I can only learn from someone that's more senior or more experienced than I am is one of the culprits with this because, as we've seen with very experienced project managers, they sometimes struggle with the world of social media and what's happening on Twitter and Facebook and and LinkedIn, and yet there's a wealth of knowledge and opportunity that some of our more junior project managers are tapping into to help grow their knowledge and expertise. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that as a project manager, if you go in with an open mind about what you, we, we can all learn things from each other. And if you can delegate some things and help reduce your stress and your workload and manage that demanding workload, then you might get something back equally yeah. as value. You know, there's a term I I call uh, elegant delegation. And to me, elegant delegation is when we're able to give a task to someone else, uh, which grows and stretches that person, whilst at the same time, it frees us up to do something which is of higher value. If we just delegate the crap that we don't want to do to someone else, it is not really elegant because it doesn't grow someone else. Um, On the other hand, there are real growth opportunities if if we delegate the right things. Look, I agree. I think that there's knowledge and learnings to be found all over the place and why not turn a negative like a demanding workload into something positive? Yeah, cool. Let's let's rebrand it. (laughs) Um, Another thing I wanted to pick up on, you you said uh, spreading the workload with the team and being more collaborative. And that is also so key because many project managers feel that I am the project manager I'm responsible for planning. I am responsible for risk management. I need to do it. But it doesn't mean that they have to do it on their own. 
if they take it on and think that it's just their responsibility, it means that all the burden is on their shoulders. So um, when I run a lot of uh, project management workshops, we use post-it notes, or as the Americans call it, sticky notes. I don't know which one of those you prefer in, in Australia. And we plan out a project with these post-it notes collaboratively. And it means that I am not sitting here as a project manager coming up with the whole plan, doing it all on Microsoft Project behind my desk, behind my screen, and then emailing out to everybody uh, what I want them to do. No, we're doing it together. And because we're doing it together as a group, there is much better buy-in and there is a more natural tendency to spread the workload. And the same goes for risks and issues. If I sit as a project manager, I do it all on my own, I capture these items in my risk list, and I figure out who is best placed to own them. And then I email people out and say, would you please look after this risk? I think there is a risk of hardware failure. Can I put your name against it on the risk list? It is completely different if we do that activity in a uh, workshop setting. But, you know, hopefully, or, or, um, I, I recommend with post-it notes again, where we map them out on a matrix, uh, how likely is it to happen, what's the impact if it happens, and what are we going to do about it? And who's the best person to own it? then people are, they have a stake in it. They have been part of it. And it changes the project completely. Oh, and it does. And isn't this one of the big reasons projects fail when you've got that control, command and control type project manager, that people, A, aren't engaged with it. So they're like, eh, whatever. And then the project manager's got all this work to do and thinking, oh, you know, no one's stepping up. It's all me. Yeah. but you know what? I don't think project managers are aware because I have been in that situation. Actually, uh, for the last two days, I've been running a um, a workshop for a group of senior managers here in London. <clears throat> they're all very senior managers from a consultancy. They're at the top of the consultancy. But they're all, of course, involved in projects on client side. And and the, the, the item that they raised to me before the workshop that they most wanted to talk about was how can we create more people who, um, who help us with our workload, who step up, who are proactive, help us with client work, help us to win new businesses, et cetera. And, um, and I think oftentimes, and I'm, I'm careful not to judge here, um, but it comes down to, and that also transpired in this workshop, it comes down to people having very high standards and they expect other people to follow those standards. And they're not aware of it, but they're somehow are not inclusive enough because they want things in a certain way and they delegate in a certain way and that closes people off and other people may be more reluctant to come forward and contribute because there is a certain risk involved with it or there is certainly a risk of criticism involved with it. So it becomes, say, a vicious circle almost. Oh, look, I know. I understand. It's like Betty's not doing what I asked her to the standard I want Betty's thinking, oh, yeah, Joe just came along and shoved that stuff on me and told me to do it in like two minutes. And he didn't explain to me what he wanted, the quality he wanted. So when you've just got that push down mentality, people just do it any way they can to get it done in the two minutes. Yeah. And this gets back to your book about the power of project leadership and about being a good leader because the whole thing about collaboration and delegation, it's all about being a good leader. It is. There is a big step from knowing it and doing it because we all know collaboration is good, but it becomes a word. How do I really do it? 
you know what? Sometimes when I run this post-it note session with, with people, I'm thinking, oh, my God, these people in this room, they're way too senior for this. And I'm afraid that it's going to fall flat, but it never falls flat because although people are very good planners, they don't do it collaboratively. They think they do, but they don't. And they realize through this exercise that, hold on, this is more collaborative than what they normally do. In one of my past lives, I tried to implement Yammer in an organization yeah. and it fell flat. And the reason it fell flat, the culture was not collaborative. And simply having a tool and saying, I'm going to be more collaborative, didn't work. And I think it's the same thing. You have to nurture that collaborative environment through your actions, not just saying, yeah. I'm going to be more collaborative. <laughs> yeah, but we have to have people who show them how, because if you go on a, on a PMP training course or a Prince2 training course, that is definitely not part of the curriculum. It's very theoretical and doesn't really touch on how to do that in, in, in practical terms to, to, to bring people with you. I so agree, Suzanne. Suzanne, what tip would you give project managers about managing a demanding workload? Yeah, so I think we touched upon quite a few of these, planning collaboratively through workshops, looking and, and inwards and examining our own beliefs about this. Why is it so difficult for me to ask for help or to say no? Of course, we talk about delegation. I think that's another tip. Begin to look at who you can delegate to. One item we probably haven't spoken about yet is, is more the time management element. I think we all can work more optimally during a day by avoiding multitasking, because multitasking is really a myth. I mean, studies show that only 4% of the population can truly multitask. That means that they have two processes in their brains and they can do two things at once. But the rest of us, and I am part of the remaining 96%, when we multitask, we jump very quickly between one activity and the other, and we lose something as we make that, that switch. So, so if we can focus more on working single-mindedly on one item at the time, that will increase our productivity. Of course, the world isn't always like that, and we can't always just do that. But we have to try. And it comes back to also what Brian Tracy says in his book, Eat That Frog. The frog is a metaphor for the task that we're procrastinating on. It's the important task that we may be pushing aside because we, we're too busy with all these other emails in our inbox. So what Brian Tracy says is that we must eat the ugliest frog first thing in the morning. Biggest and ugliest one first. And what that means is that if you have a frog, which is an important activity that you're procrastinating on, it could be a difficult conversation you need to have, it could be writing a business plan, you know that you have to do it, but it's not screaming at you, it's not urgent, so you're putting it aside. Do that first thing in the morning, then it kind of... It's not bothering you anymore. It's not, you don't have that voice saying, oh, I need to do it. And you get results. So we have to somehow set time aside in the morning to do our important work. Then it doesn't matter so much if the afternoon is filled up with, with firefighting, if we've done our important work in the morning. And that takes some discipline. For instance, closing down our emails sometimes, going into a different room, trying to work from home a little bit, and just get in our flow and do deep work, as some people are beginning to talk about deep work. I think that's really, really important for also managing our workload because how else are we going to get through the work? I agree with you, Suzanne. My top tip is along the delegation lines. Understand what your strengths are and work out 
the things that you don't like or that can be delegated easily to someone else and try and find someone who might like to do it and to grow. Yeah, that's a nice one. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Suzanne. It's As always, it's a real joy to talk to you. Thank you for having me. That ends another podcast from Fix My Project Chaos. <laughs>